Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you for being here. 1115, you guys are primed up and ready to go now. I pray that. I pray the words of that song every Sunday before I get up here. I hope you know that. I am not enough unless he comes. And we'll, we'll set it in his prayer. <laughs> if, if the Spirit doesn't meet us here in this place, if he doesn't go before us, then we have no business going. Just like Moses on the mountain, he said, if you don't come, Jesus, if your presence isn't before us, Jesus, then we don't even want to ascend the mountain. We don't even want to go. And I pray that for our church this morning. We've got some birthdays to celebrate, and I'm not talking about me, and I'm not talking about my wife, even though today is her birthday, and you should tell her happy birthday. Um, But we've got something even better, something even better than physical birthdays. We've got two, not one, not one, Peyton. Did you know that? Not one, but two spiritual, spiritual birthdays to celebrate this week. For all of you who have no clue what I'm talking about, when somebody accepts Jesus into their life as their savior, we call that their spiritual birthday because they got a physical one, but when they're born eternally into God's family, that's a whole nother one, whole different level. So this morning I forgot to do this, but Jeremiah Temple, he's an eight-year-old that sits back there. His mom is Hannah, dad's Bradley. Um, He got saved on my birthday, the 18th. So that was awesome. That was the best birthday present. And then just, just 20 minutes ago, um, I walked into the office. I was trying to load up on sugar because it was between services, and I try not to eat too much before I preach the first time. And then in between services, I carb load or, or sugar load, coffee load, whatever load I can get. But I was at the bake sale table trying to rummage up some sugar. I was headed into the office, and I caught um, our youth pastor, Jeremy Moyers, here. And I caught Peyton, and I caught Vic. I don't know where Vic might be over with the kids at this point, Victoria Edwards, leading Peyton into salvation. She was ready. She was ready to make her decision. So congratulations, Peyton. That was the best decision of your entire life. I can assure you of that. You're brand new. You're a brand new sister in the Lord. We're we're brother-sister now. Yeah, so that's cool. Um, so me and Alyssa both have uh, really cool birthdays this year because somebody got saved on both those days, but it's not even about us. So congratulations to you. I can't wait to uh, help dunk you with Jeremy, of course, but uh, that was just cool. Like, you got you to gotta understand. You got you, you to understand. Pump the brakes. You got to understand what it's like to walk into your own church office, and this dude right here is leading somebody to the Lord in the middle of services. It's like... It's, it's, it's good. That's a good, that's a, it's a good Sunday. It's a good Sunday. All right. We're in first Peter in your Bibles. First Peter chapter one. We're in a sermon series entitled Cornerstone. We're building up the body in first Peter. He's challenging us on some things about our salvation, about our minds and our thoughts. And we're going to get to a little bit more this morning in first 
Peter, but it's a good day, not only because we have salvations, not only because it's my wife's birthday, but it's a good day because I get to talk about clothes. This whole, this whole sermon is about clothes. <laughs> this is, my whole sermon is about clothes today. I like, I like tight pants. I do. I like tight jeans. I like my clothes to fit. And, and part of it, if, if you really want, it's not my fault. It was the environment I was raised in. And so it's, it's my way of coping. And my, my tight pants, if some of you guys think it's a little too tight, I'm explaining to you my heart and, and the trauma from my past. <laughs> my mom's here. <laughs> She's already rolling her eyes. But see, the way I was brought up, I, you know, she wanted those pants to last a long time. So she bought me pants that were way too big. Always. I never had a pant, pair of pants that fit. They were always too big. We always rolled up the cuff like 13 times. So if I didn't trip over my shoes, I was going to trip over the pants anyway. Um, so I got a cuff on my pants like 18 inches wide. And uh, that's how I grew up. I grew up in, in pants that were too big, shirts that were too big. She thought they were fine. I thought they were too big. And so now I'm just... I'm compensating. I'm, I'm overcompensating, if you will, uh, in my stretchy jeans. So thanks, Mom. But I'm, I'm glad. I'm grateful I had clothes to wear. Amen? Amen? So when we're talking about these, um, if, if you want to put it into the analogy of me coming up, we're talking about pants that are too big, clothes that are too big. And our whole sermon today is about growing up into our salvation. Just like I had to grow up into the pants my mom bought me. They were always too big. And that's what she would say. She would say, oh, they'll fit you one day. You'll grow up into it. By the time they fit, I already had a new pair that were too big. So growing up into these pants, growing up into our salvation. Let me put it into another illustration. How many of you like to bake, make bread, whatever? Um, I know Sam Trees does. When you put that bread before you bake it, you put that dough do you put it in a small little pan or do you put it in way too big of a pan than it really needs? Way too big because you know it's going to grow up into that pan. It'll fill out that pan eventually. And then you bring out that delicious bread and it's like puffy and overflowing. How about any, um, any people who love landscaping and yard work and planting and things? Um, how about when you, when you plant a sapling, a baby tree or a bush, the hole that you dig for that plant is way too big for it. You're like looking at this little tiny tree or this little tiny bush, but the hole that you have to dig for it if you want it to really be healthy is way too big. And then you pack it full of the good soil and the nutrients and everything that it needs and water it a ton. But that hole, because you know as, as, as the grower, you know that its root system is gonna grow into that hole. It's gonna fill up that space. Peter's talking about our salvation. It's way too big. It's way too powerful but we have an eternity to grow up into it. How about any parents of teenagers? Any of y'all have your permit yet? Throw up the hands. Permit, permit, license, anything? Okay, okay, good. It'd be like you turn 15, you walk out of the DMV with your permit, and your dad hands you the keys to a supercharged Dodge Viper or a Ferrari, Lamborghini. Way too much power for you to have. Way too much. Too big, too much muscle, too much power, too much acceleration, Clayton. But, but what if your dad said, I, I know it's too much for you right now, but you'll grow into it. You'll grow up into it. You'll learn how to handle it. 
We have a God who's bestowed on us, who's blessed us with a salvation, with a faith, with, with an eternal destiny that is way too big for us, way too powerful. And Peter says, you got, you got some growing up to do. You got to grow into it. So let's stand. We'll read our passage and we'll knock it out real quick. Like real quick. First Peter chapter one, 22 is where we're starting. And we're reading through chapter two, verse three. You read with me. I'm going to read out loud. You read along on the screen. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. Now, carrying the same thought through to chapter two, verse one, he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Verse two, like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peyton, you just got a great big old thing that you have the rest of your life to grow up into. Verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for brand new spiritual infants this morning. We're thankful for Peyton. We're thankful for, Jer- for Jeremiah. We pray that uh, just complete blessings over their life as they grow up into their salvation. Help them to be hungry and desire the milk of the word of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Peter is describing our spiritual outfit. Peter's talking about clothes. How did he know I love talking about clothes? Peter's describing our spiritual outfit, and here's what he's saying. He tells us what to put on, he tells us what to take off, and he tells us how to grow into it. So if you're taking notes, that's it, three points, what to put on, what to take off, that's right, we got to have a dirty clothes pile, and what to grow into. And this whole sermon is called Grow Into It. If you want a title for your notes, Grow Into It. So what are we to put on? If you remember from last week, he's talking about getting our minds right. He's talking a lot about holiness, right, which is this huge standard. And then when he gets to verse 22, he breaks it down into practical holiness. So he's going to tell us exactly what he means by holiness. And that's what he does starting in verse 22. Peter continues to thought about getting our minds right, preparing our minds. And he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So let me ask you, just based upon that verse, what do you think it is that we're putting on? What are the clothes that we're to put on the spiritual outfit? Love, sincere brotherly love. That is the explanation of practical holiness. Peter says, look here, we want an authentic love. This is, authentic love is the expression of obedience, of practical holiness. He uses the word purify, which carries the connotation of the Hebrews when they would set aside certain people for the Nazarite vow, which is a special vow that you took only when the Lord called you to take it. And this word purify 
carries that connotation of a setting apart, setting apart for God's use, setting apart for holiness, a practical holiness, a practical holiness that is expressed by an authentic brotherly love. And then he uses the word souls, which if you look at it in the Greek, it's the word psyche. So he's still talking about our minds. So you could say having set apart your minds by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And we know this to be true, that love is to be what brands us, is to be our culture, is to be our love within here. I'm not talking about our love towards the community right now. I'm not talking about our love towards the lost right now. Peter's referring to within the church, our love for each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, is to be what sets us apart to the world. If you're doubting me, let's look at the words of Jesus himself from John 13. It'll be up here on the screen. Jesus himself explained why this love is the authentic expression of obedience or the authentic expression of holiness. John chapter 13. I might have to read it from my Bible which is fine. We got our physical copies of the word of God. Here we go. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Verse 35, so critical. By this, what? By this, he's referring, by the word this is referring to love. By this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How we love each other in this room is the greatest gift we can give to a lost and dying world. The greatest demonstration the church can give to the world is the love within the body for each other. This is what we're to be known for. Love is to be our logo. Love is to be our logo. Love is to be our branding. Love is to be our culture. And there's no shortage of need. Even within this church, there's no shortage of need. The Sheltons, the Sheltons, they, they need our love. They're the oldest members of our body. They need our love. They need our phileo, brotherly love, Peter's talking about. How about the Salmons? We just heard what they're going through. Not only with Elodie, but also with Nikeem and the bake sale. They need our love. How about Marty? She just came out of surgery. They need our love. How about Amy, Miss Amy, that has the oxygen tube? She usually comes with Edith in the 930 service. She just had a heart attack two weeks ago. She needs our love, a brotherly love. How about uh, Nick Beach? He was here at the 930. His dad just passed away in Ohio, needs our love. How about Kelly and Isha? Kelly lost his grandmother in Georgia about three or four weeks ago, they need our love. There's no, in other words, and I'm sorry if I left you out, the truth of it is there's no shortage of need. So there's no excuse for us not to practice what Peter describes as this authentic brotherly love, phileo love. If holiness is practiced correctly, it reveals itself through sincere brotherly love, not a sanctimonious better-than-thou life. Let me say that again. If holiness is practiced correctly, it reveals itself through sincere 
brotherly love, not a sanctimonious, better than thou life. So many of us have the wrong conception about holiness. Oh, holy, I'm holy, I'm holy, I'm set apart. I got my white robes. I'm just gonna live over here in the corner. I got my monastery and my monks. I'm just gonna be pious and, and pray all the time. And that's holiness. Read my Bible, fold my hands constantly. And there's a halo probably. I don't know. It's probably, do you see my halo? And we think we conjure up this, this huge image, this huge weight of holiness. And Peter's saying, no, no, no. Do you want, hol- you want holiness? You want, to be, you want holiness to be expressed from your life? Love your brother. Love each other well. Love each other well. Patrick Lencioni, he's a leadership guru. He's written many books, The Advantage. Uh, He's written many leadership books, and he does a lot of consulting for businesses, Fortune 500 companies, and also churches. And he said this about his consultant work. He said, in my consulting, I found that church people are the most vicious. This is a man who's Catholic, so I don't even know if he claims to know Jesus or not. He's probably thinking that he has to work towards his salvation. I don't know. But he said, in my consultant work, church people are the most vicious. That cannot be our stigma. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus told us to do. Jesus says, let my love for you demonstrated towards each other, that's got to be your logo. Let love be your logo. It's got to be your trademark. It's your banner. It's what's out front. I want the world to know me by the love you have for each other in this room. That's phileo love. But you've got to go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 22 with your eyeballs. Maybe it'll be on the screen. It says, Catch this, don't miss this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. What's the next word? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Okay, cool. In the English language, in your translation, I bet no matter what translation you have in front of you, the word is love followed by the word love. That's why it's so important to dig deep into the scripture because let me show you something. What Peter is saying is not the same thing. He's saying, listen, your authentic love is the expression of your obedience, but then he puts another flavor on love. He says, now your fervent love is the expression of motive. Your authentic love is the expression of your obedience to the truth. Now your fervent love is the expression of motive. Here's what Paul is saying. Love, the second time Paul uses the word love, is not phileo. It's agape. In other words, you better have that sincere brotherly love. That's a good starting point. But now it's time to turn up the heat. Peter says, for a sincere and brotherly phileo, agape one another. Whole different word. This is a whole different kind of love. Peter's saying, not only... Does your love have to be authentic, but your love has to be fervent? This is a whole nother level. We got to turn up the heat and you might have brotherly love for each other in this room. You might care about one another in this this room, but how much has it cost you? Agape love is sacrificial love. Agape love is fervent. It's intense. It carries the flavor of smothering. So yes, phileo. Yes, amen, phileo love, brotherly love. Let's 
lift up each other, the hurting, the needy. Let's be, let's wrap our arms around one another. But then we have to take it to another level of love. We have to take it sacrificial. How much has it cost you? How fervent is it? How intense is it? How smothering is it? Peter says, your fervent love is the expression of a pure heart. In other words, motive. Motive matters. He's talking about the church. How do we love each other within here? The greatest demonstration the church can give to the world is the love within the body for each other. Don't miss the two different types of love Peter's talking about here. Not the same word. He finishes out chapter 1 by not only talking about authentic love, fervent love, but then lasting love. He's like, it's got to be, if you want it to make a difference in people's life, if you want your love for each other to matter for eternity, it's got to come from the gospel. It's got to come from the good news found in the word of God. And that's how he explains this, that, listen, the only way you're going to have a, a lasting love, a, an eternal love, is if you're, you're reborn yourself. See what he says here in verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For he quotes Isaiah 40, all flesh is like grass, all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. In other words, within yourself, you have nothing lasting to offer this world. Within yourself, you have nothing lasting for your brother or sister in the Lord. Everything you can muster up in your own strength of your own might is going to fall away. It's going to perish even at the top of your game, even at the pinnacle of your life. Nothing you do or say or the love that you have to offer matters if it's from you. In other words, if you want the love that's going to last, it's got to come from the imperishable word of God, the gospel. The gospel is the eternal love. That's what's going to last. That's what's going to change people's life. And he says that in verse 25, but the word of the Lord, or, uh, yeah, verse 25, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. If you want to find an example of love that was not only authentic, but fervent and also eternal, look at the gospel. If you want to find, if you're searching this morning for love and you want to find something sincere, you want to find something intense and sacrificial. You want to find something that's going to make a difference in your life. Look no further than the gospel. Jesus says, this is the gospel. This is the good news that I preach to you. Good news. It's the same word. Good news. It's the same word. Glad tidings. It's the same word that the angels told the shepherds in the field. I've got glad tidings. Gospel news. This is the love that was demonstrated by not only God sending his only son on our behalf, but the same love that cost Jesus his life, the same love that caused him to shed his blood, the same love that caused him to take on that crown of thorns and the robe that was ripped off of his bloody back and the whip that he was whipped with 39 times and the nails that went through his hands and his feet. That's an authentic love. That's a fervent love. It costs him everything. That's an eternal love. It makes a difference in our life. Look no further. We're talking about clothes. We're talking about what to put on this morning. We are to put on phileo and agape love. 
brotherly love, sacrificial love. And he says, look no further. If you want a great example, look no further than my gospel. But what about our old clothes? What about the clothes that we've got to put aside, to lay off? That's what he starts in chapter two, verse one. He says, wait, 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 wait. I know I've told you about love. This is what you need to put on. Love is what you need to put on. This love is what you need to grow into. But let's talk about what you need to take off first. He says, so put away. It's the same phrase found in Hebrews 12, 1, where the writer says, lay aside every weight. Put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy and slander. I find it ironic that every one of those words that Peter uses has to do with what comes out of our mouth. Malice, anger, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. A lot of it has to do with the words we talk with. And we know from other scriptures that the words of our mouth are a reflection of our heart. The words of our mouth are a reflection of our mind. That's why Peter says it's so important that you get your mind right. Put the right clothes on up here. Get the right clothes on up here. And in order to do that, in order to put on love correctly and and effectively, you got to make a dirty clothes pile of things that no longer fit you because you've been reborn. You've been rebirthed. You're a brand new creation. And some of these old habits, these old words, these old mindsets, these old matters of the heart, they don't fit you. They don't belong. It's out of style, baby. You want to talk about style? Peter says, if you've got envy and slander, malice in your heart, it's out of style. You've got to update. You need to make a dirty clothes pile of that stuff and just donate it to Goodwill. Take it to the donation barrel. You don't have time for that anymore because you've got to put on love. Love is the, uh, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the brand of clothes that we wear. You want to be in style? You want to have the hottest brands? You want to have the hottest trends? Make sure you got that love logo right here on your clothes. Love, love is to be your logo. And then he says, put on love. He says, put off the old stuff. And then he says, grow up. He says, grow into it. It's going to be too big for you at first. And he says it as as such. He says, and starting in verse 2, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. So he talks about clothes and food, my two favorite things, Peter does. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you, that by it you may grow up into your salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So what are we growing up into? Our salvation. And he uses the example, moms, of babies, of infants, and how they long for milk. And the reason why you, they they wake up every two hours and they're screaming and they're crying is because they need more of the good stuff, the nourishing stuff. They want the sincere milk because it's got all the nourishment. It's, It's how they grow. And so just like none of you moms, if, if your baby never woke up, if, if, your da- if your baby never craved the milk, never wanted to nurse, you wouldn't think, oh man, I got a linebacker on my hands. This is going to be a big, beefy boy. I'm going to get him into sports. I mean, he is going to be strong, athletic. Would you say that if your baby never desired the milk? No, you'd worry. You'd worry. You'd probably make some doctor appointments. 
You probably tried to find alternative ways to feed them. You'd be worried. You'd be stressed out. My baby's not eating. He's not growing. Alternatively, moms, I got another question. Would you give your baby, <laughs> your infant, would you feed him pizza? Would you feed him hot fudge sundaes? Would you feed him donuts and candy? That's right, ready. How about, how about any, any babies in here with moms who just get the ready whip out and open up baby and squirt mouthful of ready whip? That's not what we're feeding our babies, is it? We feed our babies the sincere milk, the, the food source that God intended for their growth and nourishment. So we are spiritual children learning to grow up into our salvation. But so many of us, immature Christians, we desire the experience. We want the emotionalism and the experience. We want the feel-good sermons. We want, we want all the candy and sugar. We want all the feel-good. We want all the emotion. We want the motivational speeches, but we don't have the desire for the word. We don't have the desire for the milk, right? And so I'll let the Spirit do the convicting. But if in your Christian walk, if there's no desire if there's no passion, no hunger, if there's no drive to get into the word, then you're neither growing nor healthy. If you don't have a desire to open this book and learn, then you're not growing and you're not going to grow from the pizza and the hot fudge sundaes and the candy and the donuts. That's not what's intended for your growth. That part comes later. That part is verse three. And you can't have the experiences if you're not willing to put in the desire and the growth. So many Christians want to start here at step three. They want the feel good. They want the experiences. They hear other testimonies and they say, I want some big monster story so I can tell about what God did in my life. Good. Get into the word over there. Step one. You're not going to have the experiences. You will not be able to taste and see that the Lord is good if you do not desire the sincere milk of the word over here. I got to pick on Mike Larrabee because he's on the back row. He's pretty new here. He's been here a few months. See, mom, you're not the only one. I'm going to pick on Mike now. Mike is pretty new here. They've been coming for a while and he just joined the church in our last new members meeting. And I've gotten to hang out with him a few times. And what excites me about Mike Larrabee is that I've never met another young Christian who is so hungry to know about the word. Every time I'm with him, every time I'm around him, he wants to know. He wants to know. He wants to learn. He wants more knowledge. He wants, he wants to be, he wants to do the right things. Like there's such an intense desire, you know, Psalm, whatever that says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. I think 19, 119. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you. Something like that. That's what Peter's talking about. Be a Mike Larrabee. Be hungry. Be, desire the word of God. Desire to get into it. Desire to learn and know and understand and grow. Your salvation's too big for you. You got pants on that are too big, but you'll grow into them. Just hang on. This is one of my favorite sanctification verses. You know what sanctification is? Sanctification is the process by which we become more like Christ. It's the process where, where Jesus 
conforms us into the image of himself. And that process will be complete when we get to heaven. But until then, we got a lot of growing to do. And so I love how Peter phrases it, grow up into your salvation. Why is it so big? Why is it so great? You keep calling it great salvation. You keep talking how big it is, how, how powerful it is. Jesus died on a cross. What's so great, big, and powerful about that? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Hebrews 2.3 says it this way. And we don't really know who the writer of Hebrews is, but he nails it. He says, how shall we escape, catch this, if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. Our salvation is too big for us. It's too powerful. It's too great. If you want three quick ones, you want to know why? The promise that it offers, the price that it costs, the power it contains. We won't get into all those. You can write them down. The promise that it offers, are you kidding? Whosoever will. You mean it's not limited? It's not for him and her and one and two? It's not for any, meeny, miny, mo. It's not for, let's count it off. Jesus didn't count off anybody. He says it's whosoever will. So the promise is huge. The price that it costs that the perfect lamb of God without spot, without blemish was to take our place, right? That's a steep cost that God in the flesh would come for us. How about the power that it contains? Both Romans 1.16 and 1 Corinthians 1.18 both say that this gospel, this salvation is dynamos. What does that sound like? Dynamite power. That's our salvation, Austin. It's got dynamite power. It can change lives. It can, it can change nations. It can change civilizations and worlds. promise it offers, the price it costs, the power it contains. I just want to read one passage to you from Romans chapter 8, referring to the promise that it offers. Because not only is it a whosoever will message, but the promise that it offers goes so beyond that, goes well beyond that. And we see here in Romans chapter 8 a little bit about this fantastic great, big, mighty salvation that we got to grow up into. It says, what then, this is Paul, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know it. He didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's you and I, if we've got Jesus. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Are you kidding? Are you catching all this salvation stuff? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. Who feels like that? We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, loved us. Love is to be our logo. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any else, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
That's steak. That's meat. That isn't even milk. (laughs) That's not even milk. That's meat. And so do you get how big your salvation is? If only from that one little passage, and there's a million more like it. Your salvation is so big and so great, so powerful, we don't even know how to handle it yet. But we're growing into it. We're growing into it. You won't be able to, if you're not willing to dig deep, you'll never be able to build up or stand firm. That's, in essence, what Peter's saying. Crave the source, grow up into the source, and then next week we'll see how Peter carries it through to this cornerstone idea and how we are all living stones building up a spiritual house. But that's next week. Right now he's saying, if you want the experiences, if you want to be able to say like I do in verse three, that you've tasted that the Lord is good, if you want the testimony, if you want the rich emotional experiences in your Christian life, then you have to dig deep. You have to have a desire for the milk of the word of God. He's taken it from Psalm 34, 8, where he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Of all the senses, I love that Peter and the psalmist David both use the sense of taste. Because, Connor, I can see you from a distance. I can feel the weather from a distance. I can see from a distance. I can hear from a distance. But I can't taste unless it's right here. Meaning that it's close, it's intimate, it's personal. So Peter didn't say, I want you to hear about the goodness of the Lord. Peter didn't say, I want you to see from somebody else's life that the Lord is good. Peter didn't say, I want you to feel that the Lord is good in your life. No, he said, I want you to taste it. I want it to be rich. I want it to be personal, intimate. I want it to be right here. Taste, if you've tasted that the Lord is good. So we got some things to put on, love. We got some things to put off our old self. We've got some things to grow into. I got us some, some questions as we conclude here. Some questions are for you personally. Some questions are for us as a church body. You, have you put on love? Are you known for how you love your Christian brother and sister? Hope it's authentic. I hope it's fervent. I hope it's eternal. So Peter says, love your Christian brothers and sisters with that phileo love. And then when you've got phileo, turn it up to agape. It ought to cost you something. It ought to be intense and fervent and smothering. There's a bake sale table outside. (laughs) Church body, is love our logo? Is it what we're known for? Is it our branding? Is it the brand on our clothes? Do we have the icon of love stitched on everything that we wear? It's got to be our logo. Does our community know how we rally around each other? Should. How about this? Maybe you've outgrown some stuff. Maybe your pants are too tight like mine. Maybe it's time to put them off. Maybe it's time to lay aside the slander, the hypocrisy, the envy, the malice. We didn't really go into those. 
I'll let the Spirit do the convicting, but are the words of your mouth what comes out? You know what's a reflection of what's in your heart, what's in your mind, what consumes your thoughts, what consumes the desires of your heart? It all comes out one way or another. Matthew 5 says that. Proverbs says that. It all comes out. It all comes out. So how's your heart? How's your mind? Are, are, you, are you willing to admit that you've outgrown some stuff? Are you willing to admit that these old clothes and this old self and your life before Christ, it's out of style? Are you willing to admit that you need a little update, a little refresh in your outfits? Make a dirty clothes pile. Get rid of it this morning. Get rid of it. And then how about growing into it? Are you desiring the experience over desiring growth? We all have desire. Where's your desire pointing? You want the experiences or do you want the growth? Do you want the milk or do you want the sugar? The quick fix, the emotion. And maybe today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe today you just needed to be reminded of your great salvation your mighty, powerful salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it says something in verse 11 specifically. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I understood like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. It's not ironic that we read that verse in the middle of the love chapter. Some of us baby Christians, can I be honest with you? We shouldn't be babies anymore. We need to put aside some of the baby childish things that we carry around. Even the apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, He says, I wanted to bring you the meat, but you weren't ready. I couldn't couldn't bring you the truths that I wanted to bring to you and explain to you because you're still a baby. You're still on the milk. So church, we've got a lot of growing up to do, don't we? Peter talks about desiring the sincere milk of the word, but that's not where we're supposed to stay. We start here. But we're supposed to graduate to the meat eventually. But we can't talk about that yet. We're not ready for that yet. we got to grow into this great, big, wonderful, powerful salvation. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you this. How about you? In the quietness of your seat, have you for yourself experienced this authentic, fervent, eternal love? It's found in the gospel. And if I can go a step further, it's found in a person. His name is Jesus. It was eternal because he gave his life for it. And that's what the Bible promises you, a home in heaven. It was fervent because he literally shed his blood for it. It was authentic because he rose again the third day and he's alive today. He's living. He's at the right hand of God. Only you know if you've received this love and 
It's not something that he's going to force on you. He's not going to force himself into your life. He's he's not going to manipulate himself inside of your heart, but he is calling you. He is urging you. He is pleading with you to accept this love, to open your heart and accept this love. It's already done. The, The work is done. He has taken your place. He has shed his blood to cover all of your sin, all your shame, all of your guilt, all of your transgression and rebellion, all of your wrongdoing. He took that on himself, paid the full price, rose again the third day and says, Now, what about my love? Are you going to receive it? Or do you think you can do it your own way? I urge you, just like Peyton this morning, just like Jeremiah earlier this week, receive the authentic, fervent, eternal love of Jesus. It's the good news of the gospel. Just receive it. That's it. Receive it. Take it. Take him at his word. Christian, is love your logo? Are you known for this love? Maybe you've got love, but you need to turn it up a little. Maybe you've got some things to put off. Maybe you've got some desires for the word that you need to put into your life. Jesus, above all else, we want your name to be magnified in this place today. We want people, everyone, everyone under the sound of my voice to know that It's all about Jesus here, that we want to magnify your name, that we want to make you famous, that we've decided to follow you, no turning back, that we want to put you on display in our lives, that every trial, every tribulation, every suffering will be another facet to show your glory on display, to show your love that we have for each other. May you be magnified in this place. It's in your name that we pray, amen.